Richard Mao, Do It Again. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Faith and Work. The biblical God is a God who delights in all of his creation. Even before God created humans, he delighted in the world and the creatures he had made. Now, however, we live in a fallen world, and that fallenness has impacted every area of life. Yet God delights in every step that all people take. Christians and non-Christians alike are to reclaim the goodness that was lost in the fall. Theologian Richard Mao explains why in this talk from CFW's 2011 Gospel and Culture Conference. Great to be with you. What an exciting day as we gather together in a very special way in the presence of, of Jesus Christ. I say in a very special way because the whole point of what we're going to be talking about today is that wherever we gather, uh, we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. Phyllis and I have been uh, attending since uh, 1990, every year, the National Prayer Breakfast. And the very first time we were at the National Prayer Breakfast, I I was sitting at a table next to uh, a diplomat from one of the uh, Middle Eastern countries, uh, a Muslim. And uh, he and I had a a short but very interesting uh, conversation. And uh, at one point I said to him, "Uh, what's it like uh, being here as a representative of your country uh, here in Washington, D.C.? And he said, well, we're not supposed to say this. He said, but it's it's really wonderful. And, And as he said that, as he said the next thing, he pointed up to the stage, almost unconsciously on the stage was the the first President Bush and his wife Barbara and uh, one of the Supreme Court justices, a number of leaders of the, of the Congress, of the House and Senate, uh, the head of Joint Chiefs of Staff. And as he, as he said the next thing, he unconsciously pointed up there and he said, Washington, D.C. is the center of the universe. And I didn't have the time to tell him that I have a very different map of the universe uh, than he was working with at that moment. Because my map of the universe comes from places like Colossians and and Hebrews 1, where it says that Jesus Christ is the one by whom and for whom and through him all things were made. And he holds all things together. All things hold together. Hebrews says he holds all things together by the word of his power. And so wherever we are gathered, even when we're in those lonely places out there of difficult daily decision-making, we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so we're in a very special presence today. And I wanna, I wanna welcome you to the center of the universe, not because we're in this wonderful sacred space or even because we're in wonderful New York City, but because together we are in the presence of, of Jesus Christ. My own pilgrimage has been one of, uh, of learning more and more about Jesus. Uh, I had the privilege of being raised in a, a Christian home which from my earliest days, I was given the assurance that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And from my earliest days, I was taught and I learned the lesson that the most important thing that any human being can experience is the embrace of a loving Savior, the embrace of Jesus Christ. And so I was raised with that sense that he's my Savior When I went off to college and I began studying philosophy and things like that, I got very excited about the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is, he's the lord of our thinking, that 
that we are to bring all thoughts in captiv- into captivity to Jesus Christ. And that was a very exciting second stage of my pilgrimage, Savior, but also Lord. And then when I went off to uh, graduate school during the rad- radical 60s and had to struggle with all of those uh, social and political and economic uh, dynamics that were occurring in those days and, and really struggled with what this meant for me as a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I discovered the kingship of Jesus Christ, that he is the ruler over all things, that he cares deeply about politics and economics, and he cares about the business world, and he cares about the entertainment world, and he cares about athletics. He cares about the, the marathon tomorrow. Uh, he cares about uh, family life. He cares about all things because all things hold together in Jesus Christ, and he rules above all principalities and powers, and that he saves us then not only to feel his warm embrace, and it's our deepest prayer today that everyone here knows the love of the Savior and that security of knowing that in life or in death we belong to Him and that He is indeed a faithful Savior who shed His blood for us on the cross of Calvary, but that He's also the Lord of our minds. And as the Lord of our minds, He calls us to to see things in the light of His kingship, of His lordship over all things, so that we can ask questions about how we can in a variety of spheres of of human interaction acknowledge that he alone is the Lord and the King over all things. And the fact of God's sovereign rule over all things then is a very important part of our focus here today as we listen to God once again calling us to acknowledge and to implement his rule. And indeed, that call is right there at the, the very beginning. I mean, if you take some time to maybe reflect on uh, Genesis 1, that, that wonderful creation story, where long before we human beings came along, God had a lot of stuff going on in the world that he, he not only deeply cared about, but that he took delight in. And he began by creating light. And then he separated the dry land from the sky, and then he created uh, vegetation. And then he created the sun and the moon. And then he created living creatures. You know, there's that wonderful passage where you have to think of God looking down at puddles. Puddles with nothing much happening in them. And God says, let there be swarms. (laughs) And suddenly those puddles were full of swarmy things. And God looked at those swarmy things and he says, that's good. He took delight in that, that well before God put human beings on the earth, God was already taking delight in the the works of his hands, all well before any of us showed up. There's a wonderful line in G.K. Chesterton where G.K. Chesterton says that, that, that God takes delight in the things of nature that is more like the delight that little children take than adults. That God's more childlike than he is adult-like in the ways in which he delights in things. Uh, our younger, younger grandson, Peter, when he was very small, he would sit on my lap. I, don't ask me to do it here, but I, I would make what he at least thought was a funny face. And, uh, and he would laugh, joyful, gleeful. And, uh, and then he would say, do it again, Grandpa. 
and I would do it again. And he would laugh just as hard the second time as he did the first time. And he'd say, do it again, Grandpa. And, and he'd laugh again just as hard the third time as he did the first and second time. And finally, I would get tired. I said, some other time, Peter. I'm, I'm done with it, you know. But G.K. Chesterton says that's the kind of delight that God takes in the works of his hands. That every morning he says to the hawk, do it again. And the hawk does it, flies through the sky. And God says, that's good. And every morning the Lord God says to the sun, do it again. And the sun rises and he says, isn't that good? That God takes delight in the, the little swarmy things uh, swimming around in, in the puddles. He takes delight in, um, in many, many things. And he also takes delight in human beings. Because finally, on that sixth day, the Lord God creates the man and the woman. And he gives them a, well, it's really, if you look at the text, a three-part mandate. The very first thing he says to the man and the woman is, procreate. He says, Fill, uh, uh, be, be fruitful and multiply. He wanted the human race to be bigger than just two people. And so he told them that he, one of the things he cared about was that they, uh, they had offspring, that they procreate. So we can think of that, the procreative mandate. Huh? But then he goes on to say, and fill the earth and subdue it. And filling the earth and subdue it is, is yet a different thing, at least in the theology that many of us, many of us hold to. That he was telling them to fill the earth with, uh, with the works of human culture. That God put human beings, the man and the woman, in a raw garden. And then he said to them, okay, do some stuff in it. I want you to fill it. And, and we're talking about culture here, not just in the kind of wonderful culture that we heard in Chelsea's uh, marvelous half hour with us this morning, but, but very basic things. Culture in the sense of language, culture in the sense of work patterns, culture in the sense of, of art and, uh, and, and family life and, and the patterns of our human interaction. You know, my favorite example of this, which I've written about a couple times, but Adam and Eve are there on the first day in the garden, and they're going to have to pick a domestic space. And so they find this big shade tree, and Eve says to Adam, this is where we're going to hang out. But we better clear it up a bit, and there are leaves, there are twigs on the ground, and so Adam starts kicking things and picking it, and she says, no, 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 do it this way. And she goes over and gets a branch from a tree, and she strips it of the extraneous uh, twigs and leaves. And then she says, let's do it this way. And she begins to use it. And she says, we'll call this a rake. And I'll do it today at this time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And you do it tomorrow, and then I'll do it the next day. Each day we'll, we'll take turns doing this. And already there, they've begun to fill the earth with things. Language, rake. They, they've created technology. They've, they've taken raw nature and they've fashioned it into a tool, something new. Uh, they have distribution of labor. I'll do it today, you do it tomorrow. They have schedules. Huh? They're keeping time. All of these things that they're, they're gathering in the garden. And, and ultimately, if they continue to do that, they might find ways of, of playing games together. I can imagine them lying down looking at the stars and all of a sudden, Eve just starts humming, hmm, 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 hmm. Adam says, I like that tune. You know? I, I have a feeling if nothing else had ever happened in the world, twinkle, twinkle, little star would have, would have, would have happened. It just had to. It's that kind of tune. But anyway, um, tunes, games, 
They would draw pictures. They would establish various kinds of patterns. They were filling the garden with a secondary kind of creative activity, the works of human hands. And God looked at twinkle, twinkle, little star, and God looked at that rake, and God looked at the, the, the time patterns that they were establishing, and God says, that's good too. Because God takes delight in the works of our hands. The Lord God, the psalmist says, takes delight in all of his works. And so the filling takes place, but people messed it up. Horrible moment, Genesis 3. It was a film that was made back in 67 called Bedazzled. It had uh, Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. It also had a, a, a cameo with Raquel Welch, but that's not quite worth the whole film to see that. But, and it was remade in, uh, in the early, early 2000, actually in 2000. Uh, but I like the, uh, the 67 version best. And uh, Peter Cook is the devil. And Dudley Moore is this ne'er-do-well guy in the city of London who works in a hash house. And he's madly in love with this waitress. And Peter Cook is the devil, and he's in the restaurant, and he hears Dudley Moore say, I'd do anything if she would give me the time of day. And the devil goes to Dudley Moore and says, anything? And he says, yeah. So he's, it's the old Faust theme. He uh, sells his soul to the devil in exchange for seven wishes, which never quite come off. The, that's the whole point of the movie. They never quite come off the way he intended. But uh, Dudley Moore and Peter Cook, the, the, this ne'er-do-well guy and the devil, are walking around the city of London one day, and, uh, and Dudley Moore says to the devil, um, what was it like, you know, before you, you kind of got in trouble with God? And, and, and the devil says, I'll show you. And he gets up on a mailbox, and he sits there with his arms folded. He says, okay, I'm God. You be me. I want you to walk around the mailbox and just keep saying you're wonderful, you're, 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 you're holy, you're the greatest being in the universe. And so Dudley Moore walks around the mailbox. You're wonderful. You're, you're glorious. You're the greatest being in the universe. You're wonderful. You're Then he stops. and says, I'm getting kind of tired of this. Let me sit up there. You come down. And the devil says, that's what happened. And we wanted to sit on the throne. We wanted the glory to ourselves. And we messed it up. We messed up technology, trying to build a tower that gets to heaven. We messed up music and the other arts. We messed up family life. One brother killed another brother. We messed up in all of these areas that God had relig religious, uh, in, uh, originally designed for his creation. And then God looks down at that fallen human race, and he says, I'm not going to let them get away with this without doing something to reverse the situation. And in the Old Testament, he calls together a people who in their farming, in their economic activity, not only in their worship, in their family life, in the way they handled the arts, they were to bring glory to God. And then in Jesus Christ, God does this marvelous thing that Jesus came into the world, not to condemn the cosmos, John 3, 17, not to condemn the cosmos, but that the cosmos, the, the created order, might be saved through him. And God calls us then to be not only people who have accepted Jesus as our Savior, but people who begin to think Christianly about the basic issues of life, and that God calls us then to be a part of that work of reclaiming, reclaiming art, reclaiming business, reclaiming politics, reclaiming family life for the glory of God to do all things, so that the church having gathered in the presence of that picture of Christ as the, the ruler of all, over, over all things, 
we are sent forth into the world uh, to do His will. And so God asks us to take all of that seriously. And He takes delight in what we do. That at a master's tournament, when somebody sinks a a 30-foot putt, God looks down and says, that's good. Even if it's not a Christian, God looks down and says, that's good. That's one of the ways in which I take delight in the world that I have created. When a 12-year-old puts words together in a, a nicely crafted poem, or when a person in global financial services shows skill in projecting trends in some third world country, when an engineer designs an improved braking system for a family vehicle, God looks down on that and says, that's good. Those are the kinds of things I had in mind when I created this world. And so the Lord asks us to take our work beyond the walls of the church seriously. And he asks the church to take our work seriously that the church has to work hard at equipping us and nurturing us, men and women, boys and girls, to see life beyond the walls of the church as a kingdom service, as doing what Jesus wants us to do. He takes delight in the works of His hands, and He calls us to use our hands and our minds I had a friend who was an insurance agent. He was on a panel one time with some other Christian business people, and, and the one just before him said, you know, I, I, I ask my secretary one day a week, one hour a week, I tell her to, I want to close the door. I don't want any phone calls. I don't want any appointments. I just want to spend an hour, in a home, uh, hour alone with my Lord. And my friend was up next, and he says, you know, I do the same thing as that, but I want to tell you another thing. He said, I'm with my Lord when I've got clients in the office. <laughs> that my Lord is looking over my shoulder. He was looking over my shoulder the other day when a young married, newly married couple came in and they wanted to talk about their insurance needs. And, and I realized we were talking about some of the basic issues of human life. What, what gives us security? What kind of family we want to have? What kind of lives we want to live? How we're going to project our future. And he said, I had my sense that that Jesus was looking over my shoulder as I wrote the insurance policy. And he's looking over our shoulder when we create music. He's looking over our shoulder when we, when we watch the, the, the football game. Probably shouldn't do it this afternoon, even though maybe the reruns later on. Uh, but he looks over our shoulder in all areas of life because he is the Lord and the King, the ruler over all things, and he cares deeply. And he says to each of us, when we go off to work, when we go off to school, when we engage in play, when we engage in the, the intimate moments of friendship and married life, he says to each of us, that's good, do it again, when we are doing His will and seeking His face. The Lord takes delight also in this gathering. We need more of it. And so I believe that the way this day is going to go, if by the end of the day, the Lord God is going to say to the Faith and Work leadership team, this is good. Do it again. Thank you all, and God bless you. CFW exists to explore and investigate the gospel's unique power to renew hearts, communities, and the world in and through our day-to-day -day work. To learn more about CFW's programs and resources, please visit faithandwork.com.